The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This is Sunday Edition with Anthony Corona. Every week here on ACB Media One, that's American Council of the Blind, Media One, and soon after on all your major podcast catchers. Each week, we'll dive into the news, human interest, and discussions about the issues surrounding all of us in and out of the American Council of the Blind community. Welcome, welcome, welcome to an updated Sunday edition, Byron. That is awesome. <laughs> You're welcome. I know you've been uh, asking for a new promo for a couple of months now. So uh, for quick and uh, uh, professional delivery, just ask Byron to make your promos. <laughs> Heck yeah. You know, I'm going to miss my majestic horns, but um, I don't know. I was thinking to myself, wow, this sounds like this is Wolf Blitzer. <laughs> right? So thank you, thank you, thank you. And um, folks, if you're doing podcasting or, or um, you know, things of that nature, Byron does a lot of work in the space. So if you ever need some creative um, assistance, reach out to Byron. Um, I have been asked to remind folks our leadership and legislative week was a smashing success, but I've been I've been asked to remind folks to please get those Hill feedback forms in ASAP so that way Clark and Swatha can do the good work that they do all year round with the information that we gathered and I'm a big fan of striking while the iron is hot so if they can get back to the LAs that conversations went really well with, or they ask questions that need, you know, further follow-up information, Clark and Swatha can get on that. Um, I am also really, really pleased to announce that on ACP Media, under podcasts, under Pride Connection, you can listen to the two-year anniversary special um, I can't believe it's been two years. And I guess, Byron, we're going to have to start thinking about two years of Sunday Sunday edition soon, too. But um, Byron oh, came no. up with a <laughs> fabulous idea of um, having an old sitcom kind of classic memories, you know, looking back at our two years. So it's a whole bunch of us stuck in an elevator talking about and listening to clips from some of the great Pride connections that we've had over the last two years. Byron, what was your what was your favorite moment of the whole thing? Oh, uh, boy, that's a that's a really hard one. But um, I think the evolution of Anthony saying welcome, welcome, welcome. A um, little bit of trivia, because I, I didn't know this until after I went back and, and tried to find some welcome, welcome, welcomes at the beginning of uh, the early episodes of Pride Connection. And, you know, Anthony, you didn't start doing that until about, I don't know, like 10 episodes in. It was hello, 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 and welcome, or well, welcome and hello, or something like that. So it was kind yeah. of like an evolution of your of your persona. Yeah, my favorite moment, unfortunately, Gabriel had a bunch of things 
uh, the, the week of legislative week, including the Spanish language wrap up shows, which are also podcasted. Please go check them out if you'd like all of a recap of all four of the days in Spanish language. Um, Ian Swafford did a really amazing job, but I digress. He wasn't able to record with us, so he gave um, a standalone recording to Byron as though he were up in the studio calling us through the elevator phone. And what you did with that was awesome as well. So kudos and congratulations, Byron. I really do believe this is like a Spotify worthy, you know, right off of CNN or, um, you know, iHeartRadio kind of podcast. So kudos and congratulations to all the work you put in for that. That's awesome. Um, any announcements from your camp, either fun zone or anything else you're working on? Uh, you know, uh, today is Weird Al Day, um, whenever the 27th falls on uh, a Sunday, which is when my show happens. Uh, we pay tribute to the uh, Prince of Parody. Um, and I don't know who the king of comedy would be. I don't know, like uh, Alan Sherman or Spike Jones or something. But anyway, um, we do a tribute to Weird Al every 27th that happens to be a Sunday. So uh, if you're interested, um, take a look at The Fun Zone with Byron Lee. And, and uh, I think you'll be uh, I think you'll have fun with that. And if you haven't heard this, Byron, then I'm about to make your day, but I, I'm pretty sure you know. Uh, Harry Potter, a.k.a. Daniel Radcliffe, is about to star as Weird Al in a biopic. I know. Isn't that weird? <laughs> I mean, I guess that's the point. <laughs> I think it's going to be awesome. All right. So, Meryl, you came to us with an announcement as well. Meryl, please unmute and tell the folks what's going on. Uh, yes. Um, can you hear me? We can. Great. Um, well, the inspiration for my Spanish call actually came from when Cindy Howe spoke at the legislative, the D.C. leadership meetings, and she was saying that once a month, she would get an email asking for a Spanish call because they used to have one. Donna Pomerantz used to do it, other people, and apparently they just weren't committed and the call stopped. And then Gabe did his Spanish calls. Oh my God, they were awesome. And so I emailed her and I said, an answer to your prayers. So I'm gonna be starting my call tomorrow evening, every Monday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. And I'm going to be, um, the first call is gonna gauge the audience to see what they'd like, whether they'd like conversational Spanish, whether they'd like to learn to think in Spanish instead of thinking in English and translating. And, you know, and then I'll gauge from there, but um, I hope to be able to teach them not just the alphabet, the days of the week, the months of year, conjugating verbs, but, basic conversation and because Spanish is so important these days it's important in commerce it's important in speaking to people in in Maryland and I know you know of course in Florida you know we have large Spanish communities and we have Absolutely. to learn to communicate with people so this is my first time facilitating and I'm extremely excited so I hope as many of you can get on as possible Thank you. Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming to Sunday Edition and telling us all about it. I'm really excited. Okay. Really excited for you. Awesome. Thank I you. think that's great. I'm glad you're going thank to you, do Jane. that. Yeah. And, thank <laughs> you. and there's a lot of there's a lot of background noise. Byron, can you go fish around and see if you find it? I don't. 
All right. Well, in the yeah, meantime, we are going to get you our subject at hand. I have some fine folks here that are going to talk about the DKM first timers, JP Morgan Chase, which I myself know a little bit about. And um, what you can expect maybe at convention this year, how it has changed our lives and why, if you haven't applied, if you're a leader or a soon to be or want to be leader in the American Council of the Blind, if you haven't applied yet, why you should apply for one of these amazing awards. Kenneth, welcome back to Sunday Edition. Thank you. Glad to be here today. You are a busy man in the organization, board member, running this committee, starting this new mentorship program, which, you know, lots of us uh, heard the preview at leadership, and we are really excited for some of the upcoming deadlines. I know I will definitely be applying for some of the mentor uh, position that might be available. Um, but so tell us what's been going on with you personally before we get into the conversation. Oh, there's a lot of uh, things being done, not only on the national level for me, uh, still busy on the local level as a chapter president and on the state level, immediate past president. We have a number of projects going on. Uh, so it's every day, my volunteer work, it's uh, like a full week uh, as if I am employed, but it's all fun. I'm learning more each day and just trying to make a difference and make sure we get people included in those areas of, of which, in which they want to be included within our organization. So, Kenneth, you are really good at this. Give us the two-minute blurb on DKM First Timer and J.P. Morgan Chase Awards. Okay, DKM First Timer is an award that began in 1996. We will seek to identify two recipients this year, as we do every year, one from the east and one from the west of the Mississippi River. Uh, and those folks that are interested in uh, leadership development, that's what our awards are about, uh, you would want to locate our article, uh, and that's, that can be found in the January Bureau form for the DCAM First Timers and uh, February E form for Leadership Fellows. Also, it can be found on the ACB website at acb.org and the DCAM website at acb.org forward slash DKM. So, uh, the first timers that are selected this year uh, will be able to join two former classes that were selected during our virtual conventions. So we're looking forward to around 21 people coming together uh, mm. this in-person convention that will be confirmed as to whether we will be there in person on next Friday during the board of directors meeting. Uh, but it's looking good and I'm hoping that we all can get together and, and really learn a lot together. It'll be some great things in person that people were not able to experience virtually. And so it's just going to be good to just meet up with other leaders and meet those who received these awards these past three years and try to get them acclimated into so many things that are going on that they can be able to benefit from and, and learn to, uh, to grow, grow from as well. So um, once everyone, I would say now go to the J.P. Morgan Chase Leadership Fellows, we'll be selecting five of those recipients. And uh, they will be able to apply as just like, I would say, the DCAM first-timers would by submitting a letter of application, telling all about yourself, what you're doing. We want your letter to begin with all of your personal contact information so we, we can make sure to communicate with you effectively. And uh, also make some notes about some things that you've done uh, in your community, your, your chapter, state, state or special interest affiliate and uh, uh, just within your community or even in your personal life, things that you've initiated would be good to share in your letter. Also, you want to get a letter of recommendation from 
your state or special interest affiliate president. We're asking people to focus on those because that's a, that's what our guidelines have been well before any of the current committee was in, in place. So we want everybody to follow those guidelines because sometimes we get chapter presidents being asked to write letters and, and sometime at the last minute, we have to refer them that applicant to the state or special interest affiliate president. And so we want to get our, give our affiliate presidents a chance, uh, an ample time to be able to write a good letter on your behalf. So don't wait until the deadline. That deadline is coming up on Tuesday, April 5th. Time to get those uh, letters in. Uh, we have benefits for you that everybody will uh, gain access to once selected. Uh, those and everyone that's selected at the latter part of, of April will be notified no later than the first, uh, I would say the first week of May, but normally it's right at, at the beginning. And uh, and so then you get to open up some uh, doors to uh, be planning for success. So we have a planning for success informational call that will help to identify some sessions that we will ask you to, to participate in. And then you'll learn of some that you might want to choose or be sure that you're aware of uh, to consider. And especially those who are first timers, if you've never been to convention, once you have applied, I'll be sharing some things with you that you can benefit from because the first year is normally pretty tough for somebody who's never been there. It's such a big convention and so much to consider. We wanna help you out in the beginning before you even get there to introduce you to some things that will help you along the way. Uh, so. Once uh, you are selected, I will tell you, you will have your trip paid, round trip. Uh, you'll have a, a hotel accommodations covered for you. Uh, you should not have to spend any money out of your own pocket uh, other than those tours that you may want to go on that are not uh, you know, connected with our award uh, purpose because we really want to uh, get you to attend general sessions and other special sessions to help you to learn and grow. Uh, so that's what we're going to we ask you to commit to. You'll have a 30-minute interview uh, mid-April. I'll start scheduling those even today for people who have already submitted their applications and uh, ask them to let me know when, when they'd like to be interviewed uh, with the team from the DCAM committee. Now, there's so much more I could say, but uh, do you want to save some for questions and answer time? Yeah. Yeah, and I'm going to circle back to you for your own personal experience. People who saw the promo know that you are one of the first recipients. Um, and we'll circle back to you. I'm going to segue into Greg Lindbergh. I know he has another commitment today, so I want to thank him very much for spending some time with us. And Byron, be on alert. I'm actually going to take questions in um, after Greg speaks and then after each participant speaks so they can leave. Um, I want to thank everybody again, uh, Melody. And Becky for joining us today at short, um, you know, a little bit of a short notice after the leadership and legislative. Greg, welcome back to Sunday edition, my uh, Florida brother from another mother. <laughs> hey, there. Yeah. hey there, Anthony. Happy Sunday. Great to be back on, on Sunday edition. It's always an honor to join you on here. So you and Becky are both winners or recipients of the first timer award and the J.P. Morgan Chase Fellowship. So let's let's start back when um, you know when you were applying for DCAM first timer. How long had you been in the organization, and what what did your letter kind of sound like? Yeah, so I joined my local chapter, the Pinellas Council of the Blind, in uh, the fall of 2013. 
and then applied for this award about two and a half years after that, early 2016. So was still, you know, pretty, pretty much a fresh face within the organization. Uh, honestly, at that point, had never been to a state convention, let alone a national convention, and uh, really, you know, never expected to even be considered for for either of these awards, to be quite honest. Um, but yeah, I uh, so within the local chapter, they, you know, they knew they they saw my writing experience, you know, working professionally as a writer, whatnot. So they approached me about becoming secretary and then handling our chapter newsletter, the monthly newsletter. And uh, so those were kind of the two responsibilities, uh, you know, first introductory type tasks that I had within the the organization. And uh, so that's really what I focused on in my letter and, you know, just about that, that brief experience, but more importantly, just about my desire to grow within ACB uh, to get more exposed to other leaders, you know, mentors, whatnot. And uh, yeah, that's kind of, you know, my, my approach initially to that letter and, and applying for the first timer. And I know shortly after becoming a first timer, you took over editing the White Cane Bulletin down in Florida, the award winning White Cane <laughs> Bulletin down in Florida. What other, um, well, you know what? Actually, let me backtrack first. Tell me what that first convention was like coming in as a first timer and never having been to even a state convention. What were some of, you know, surprises for you? What were some of the thought processes? Yeah, I, you know, honestly didn't know what to expect. You know, you have all these things going through your head when you've never done something. Obviously, we've all been that in, in some capacity in life. And uh, just, you know, being around new people, uh, folks I've never really interacted with much. And uh, it was truly amazing. I mean, when I got home, I was extremely exhausted, but in a good way. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> um, the, the word that, that keeps coming to mind even today, you know, just attending a convention or a DC leadership event is uh, empowering, just feeling so empowered by the experience you know by getting the opportunity to network and interact with such highly successful highly motivated leaders within this organization um just the variety of events at convention i mean there's so many different things going on obviously as you know many things at the same time in a lot of cases each day and having to to be selective on what to choose you know what's best for you and what you're really, what you're, you're really looking to get out of everything. And uh, yeah, I mean, there were, you know, educational events, workshops I attended, uh, social events, some excursions, um, you know, getting the opportunity to, to address uh, the membership at, at the General Assembly uh, one evening as, you know, as a first time recipient. Um, so it was really just a, such a great introduction to ACB and, you know, I feel like we all have stereotypes in our mind about different groups or whatnot, but this truly, you know, opened my eyes, so to speak, uh, about what ACB is, what ACB does, and what ACB stands for, and uh, just my enthusiasm, you know, for the organization, for my involvement, just exponentially shot up after that convention. <laughs> I remember, you know, Rochester was my first physical convention and um, I hadn't been to a state convention. I hadn't been to anything like that either. And I, I was a new guide dog worker. Um, Bodie and I had been together for just about a year at that point. 
Um, and I was thinking to myself, um, what the heck with all of these dogs? How the heck are we going to keep them all? And he was a rock star. I had nothing to worry about. I, I did not give my boy enough credit. Um, but I, yeah, that was my biggest fear. Like, oh my God, they're like all going to want to be playing with each other. And how do you have a meeting with like 12, 15, 20 dogs in a room? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so there's a, a, you know, a nice size gap between your first time and your JP Morgan. What are some of your takeaways from becoming, a, you know, from having that first timer experience, the networking you did, and then, you know, as you kind of rose to national attention let's call it especially with the white cane bulletin of course but also you know your passion for sports you're definitely um out there people you know people have had conversations with you so tell us you know what were the takeaways and and what are some of the highlights between your two experiences yeah i would say you know in terms of the first timer winning that award um so after i won that i really got involved at the state level like you mentioned the white cane bulletin was honored to serve as editor of that publication for about four years. Um, I was also a member of the publicity and PR committee within the the Florida council and made some really awesome connections, you know, through that involvement and really, you know, attending the the state conventions every year, the board meetings um, that, that was kind of, you know, again, that initial introduction, obviously more so at the state level there for a couple of years and so in 2018, I found out about this, you know, idea of a next generation uh, chapter committee, whatever you want to call it at the time, you know, group, let's just say it was kind of unstructured on, you know, informal at the time. And so when I heard about that, about this, this, you know, group, this environment, this setting for young adults within the organization, um, I immediately jumped at that opportunity and uh, became a member of the steering committee uh, toward the end of 2018, early 2019. And so that was kind of my, uh, you know, intro to to the national stage, so to speak, you know, in addition to having attended the, the Minneapolis National Convention. And uh, yeah, so then I actually got an opportunity to attend DC leadership uh, in person in 2019 and met several, you know, future next-gen leaders. Uh, I think we were still a steering committee at the time. And uh, so that, you know, kind of that transition from the Florida, the state level involvement into next-gen was was awesome and led to so many more connections and, and whatnot. And so, you know, kind of just to finish the story, you know, getting to become secretary, getting elected as secretary of next generation, and becoming a formal affiliate, uh, still the latest affiliate of ACB. And it's, it's just been an amazing experience, you know, having, you know, so many opportunities to do what I love, to chair the publications committee within NextGen, to, uh, you know, being on the board, to being secretary, to being on the, the membership uh, committee, uh, PR, you know, just my passions, everything that I love, you know, say outside of the organization, getting to kind of meld that and merge that into my involvement within ACB has been amazing. And I mean, look at how much NextGen has done for a brand new affiliate to have the presence that you have. Um, I mean, especially, I know you guys work so hard on PR. Your social media presence is incredible. Your presence at convention is incredible. So, you know, to have, to have helmed a steering committee into such a vibrant um affiliate in two years has to feel really really good 
Oh yeah. And I'm just so honored that I was, you know, one of the the founding members essentially of that steering committee of that group. I remember back in the day before I was even on zoom, you know, just calling in on, on a regular phone and learning to adopt zoom eventually actually using it on my computer and the app and everything. And the first call we had in the summer of 2018, you know, with like 40 people, everyone was unmuted and, it was just thinking back, you know, how, how much progress we've made since then. Uh, it's, it's really something. So today is kind of special for me in, in, in the way that, you know, we're classmates. Um, you know, another one of our classmates is here as well. Sure. Um, yes. So when the, you know, when they came around towards awards um, prep time last year, did you did you know for a long time that you wanted to apply for JP Morgan as well, or what? What was the process like the second time around? Yeah, it was kind of in the back of my mind after I'd won the first timer. Um, you know, I honestly thought uh, that I would need more experience, and that you know it, it had been five years. You know, from 2016 to 2021, which you know, in retrospect, is is a long time. You can do a lot in five years, but in some ways I felt like, you know, maybe I'm not quite ready for this. And, you know, maybe I need a couple more years under my belt to really qualify for such an award. And I know Amanda Selm, Stephen Salas, several individuals within ACB Next Generation really encouraged me to apply uh, to, to go for it. And so I thought, hey, you know, let me throw my hat in the ring here and, and give it a shot. And was what was the experience like doing it virtually rather than being, you know, in front of general sessions and, and all those, you know, folks in a room? Yeah, definitely different. I mean, I think we all would love to have been in person the last couple of years, you know, as far as convention and knock on wood, we can finally do that this year. Yeah. Um, I know we did record, you know, our speeches, whatnot, uh, and there were also several live, you know, events during convention that we got to participate in as as fellows. And, you know, of course, you know, like I said, ideally, it would have been amazing in person, but virtually, you know, still being able to make those connections uh, was was very powerful, very meaningful. And uh, yeah, that's, you know, that's pretty much my, my view there, you know. So I'm I'm one of those folks that, you know, does not want to be recognized for being, you know, the, oh my God, you're the blind guy who can actually shave. Wow, you're the one that matches it. But, you know, I, I'm also a big believer of of calling out, you know, good when I see it, when I'm when I experience it. So, you know, you're gonna go down in ACB history, you know, when they update the ACB book at some point between next generation, you know, having been a DKM first timer and now a JP Morgan Chase fellow you know knowing that in in a way you've already began your legacy how does that feel amazing honestly just hearing you say that and kind of putting it in those terms is like wow it's it's still like a pinch me type moment and idea you know I never thought I'd ever win or even be considered for any kind of national award in general in my life and so to have won, to have received, you know, two, two awards from the same organization. I mean, to me, it's just, it's, it's such an honor. It's, it's something I've absolutely put on my resume. You know, it absolutely is that big of a deal. Anyone considering this 
it can change your life. It can change your connections, your path. It's, it's just absolutely incredible. Well, that kind of piggybacks on the question I was going to ask. Anything more you want to say to, you know, folks out there who are on the fence, who may be thinking to themselves, you know, I, I only do this with the chapter and I've only been to one state convention, but I know I've got leadership in me. What do you say to folks out there? Yeah, I've totally had those same feelings. I can completely relate to that. And, you know, don't never doubt yourself, never doubt your abilities. Um, go for it, you know, give it a shot. I mean, the interview process is is very easy. It's, you know, it's a panel interview, but both interviews I did, you know, for both awards, um, they were, everyone was so welcoming, friendly, you know, it's not like your, your typical job interview that maybe is a little awkward at times or whatnot. It's, it's totally different from that. And yeah, there's so many benefits. There's so many things that this, this award, these awards, you know, can lead to. So absolutely go for it. So Byron, if, um, if folks want to ask any questions or have any comments for Greg, now is the time to put your hands up. I have one last question for you. It's a two-parter what's next and tell the folks where they can find your sports podcast and any other projects you want to promote. Sure. I appreciate that. Yeah. So I, you know, in terms of ACB, um, definitely want to continue with next gen as long as I can to, to make this affiliate as best as possible, you know, as, as glowing as an affiliate as we can possibly make it. Um, I know I do have my eyes potentially on the board of publications at some point, And then as far as sports, you know, I have recently thought about the idea of some type of, you know, recreation affiliate or committee. Love what ACB is doing with Get Up and Get Moving and, uh, you know, potentially would love to help out, start something maybe a little more formal, more ongoing uh, within ACB on that regard. And then, yeah, so my podcast that I do is called Eyes Free Sports. And uh, you can go to eyesfreesports.com to check out the episodes. Um, It's also available on Apple Podcasts, as well as the A-Lady, if you just say, play the Eyes Free Sports podcast. Awesome. Same thing with Sunday Edition. Just ask her to play Sunday Edition with Anthony. (laughs) (laughs) Easy enough. Gotta love her, right? (laughs) Yep. Byron, do we have any hands? We sure do. Looks like Meryl has their hand op- uh, hand raised. So go ahead and unmute and ask your question. All right. I think, no, I didn't have my hand up, so I don't know how that happened. So I'll, oh, I'll dear. lower it or you can lower it. <laughs> All, right. All right. right. Great job, though. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Uh, well, we got to love when technology does that to us. All right. Well. <laughs> We got a 682 area code with their hand up. So feel free to unmute and ask your question. Yeah, this is Calandra from Fort Worth, Texas. Um, Hi, Calandra. I welcome. I enjoyed your presentation. It was beautiful. But how old were you when you started working with the ACB Awards Committee? And what kind of, uh, what kind of things did you do on there? Yeah, I'm actually not a member of the awards committee, but I I can just talk about, you know, in terms of getting involved in ACB in general. So I was 27, I believe, when I joined the local chapter uh, here in the the Tampa area of Florida. So definitely on the younger side. 
And uh, that's kind of always been my passion is to get more younger members involved uh, within the organization, which, you know, I've had the opportunity to do, thankfully, through Next Generation. Well, definitely come to Electric Youth at the Florida Council of the Blind Convention this year, because it's all about engaging, mentoring, and growing our next generation in the state of Florida, and hopefully inspiring other state affiliates to do the same kind of programming. Byron, any other hands? I do not see any other hands. You've worked with Greg on the board of NextGen. Um, anything you want to tell us about Greg that we might not know? <laughs> uh, you know, Greg <laughs> is a great guy, and uh, he has put in a lot of hours and a lot of hard work into um, you know, planning and doing things for ACB Next Generation. And uh, anyone who gets to work with Greg in the future is is in for a treat. Um, you know, I, I guess I could just say that Greg is a very hardworking guy, and uh, he always follows through. So thanks, Greg, for, for everything that you've done. Absolutely. You, yeah. I really appreciate that. I've got to ask, he has such an even awesome toned personality. Have you ever heard him yell? <laughs> <laughs> I can't, you know, unless it's maybe sports related, you know, like, oh my God, I can't believe they missed that. You know, uh, I'm trying to think of sports term, but sports terms, not compute. I do not know, but no, I don't think I've ever heard Greg yell. <laughs> well, Greg, thank you so much for joining us today and um, good luck in everything you do going forward. I love everything you do now and you are always welcome here on Sunday edition for any projects or conversations you want to have. Thank you, Anthony. Really appreciate you again having me on. It's been an honor. Absolutely. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Thanks All right. <laughs> we are going to transition to another classmate of mine, Becky Dunkerson. Welcome back to Sunday Edition. Hey, Anthony. How's it going? It's going good. How's it going with you? It's it's going good. Um, I'm glad to be here and to share a little bit of my story and and share more about the DKM and J.P. Morgan. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to take kind of the same track with you that I took with Greg. Um, tell us, you know, first how you found ACB when you first joined and lead us up to your first, um, you know, your first recipient as a DKM first-timer. Okay, well, I, um, unlike a lot of people, I am a daughter of a blind gentleman and my father's blind my mom is legally blind so as a teenager and young adult they were part of ACB uh at the local level um but they they were not active like a lot of us are um so my experience was just that local chapter um at the time I could drive a car so I drove them to meetings I picked up some of the other members and that sort of thing so ACB has always been something that I've known about. It's just, I never knew what the opportunities were until I got into my uh, late forties, early fifties um, and joined a different city chapter because I had moved. Um, and so I joined that chapter in 2014 and became secretary of the local chapter did that for a year and then started kind of having that feeling of, I want to do more. I want to reach more people. Um, I read about the first timer, uh, DKM first timer award and applied for that in 2016, which was the same year that Greg um, 
applied, uh, but did not receive it. Um, but it was an experience because I didn't know what to expect. Um, and it turned out that it was great because 2016 was a year that I probably would not have been able to get to convention. Um, so then 2018 rolled around and I thought, you know, let's try this again. And so I was a recipient of the 2018 DKM first timer. And the convention that I ended up going to was in St. Louis. Um, it was a huge, huge hotel. Um, used to be a train station, so it was spread out. Um, my experience there was pretty, pretty amazing. Um, a lot of people, but because it was spread out, I didn't see as many people as I expected. Um, but I think a lot of it was I wasn't in the right place at the right time. So let me ask you, going back to, you know, going back to your local chapter and, and state after after having been a first timer, did, did it change your trajectory? Did it change how you felt inside and the things that you advocated for after after leaving that huge hotel and all of those great experiences? What did you come back with? When I came back to Iowa, I. Um, I. Uh, still had that little yearning of I want to do more and I'm not sure the local and state level is where I, I fit in. Um, and a lot of it was the life uh, choices that I was living within, um, you know, with my job and, and that sort of thing. So time was, was limited. And so I had to pick and choose what I did. Um, so I jumped right in, I came back in, that would have been in July. And then by November, I was part of the affiliate ACB Diabetics in Action. Um, and it was ironic because the president at the time was a classmate of my parents. So I knew this lady as a, as a young person growing up, but not as much. I, I didn't know her as well as I thought I did. Um, but she encouraged me to um, get involved with them. She needed somebody to write a newsletter. Similar to Greg's story, so I started writing the newsletter, um, and then the next month, um, the secretary had passed away, so they needed a secretary, and she's like, can you do it? I'm like, well, I can write. Yeah, I can do it, and so that's kind of where I got started on the national level was ACB Diabetics, um, and from there, I've just kept going, and the thing that I like most is especially with zoom and this virtual stuff is we can meet people from all over the country and not even leave our living room or office or or whatever yeah so i want to touch on something you have you have a, a different experience than than greg and, and myself um i'm not going to call anyone out by name but I've, I've had a couple of conversations over the last few months uh, because of Sunday edition and various other things that I'm I'm, in, I'm involved in, and where people said, you know, I applied, I didn't get it, um, and I said, well, how? Why don't you apply again? Well, I didn't get it. I don't think I'm known that well on the national stage. If I didn't get it once, I'm not going to get you know various different reasons why. You applied again for a second time. What did you feel? You know, how did how did you feel? Were you nervous? Did you think, all right, this is my shot this time, or I'm just going to see what happens? 
And what made you go ahead and go for, for that second application? So when I applied the second time for the DKM, I felt like I knew more of what I was going into. Um, I think a lot for me is I tend to psych myself out and make it bigger than what it is. And so I think the first time I was expecting um, bigger things and I felt like I failed myself. So I just thought, you know, apply again and then kind of jumping ahead a little bit, hopefully not for your story, but um, applying for the leadership fellow in 2021. I, I applied and my thinking was, I want to do more. I want to become more. Um, and so I'm going to apply for this. And I honestly did not expect to get it because kind of like Greg said, well, I won the first award, then why, you know, why should I take this from somebody else was my thinking. And so then when I um, got the call, I, I was, I remember sitting in my chair um, and Eric Bridges called me and I was like, oh my goodness, it's the head of ACB. <laughs> I've never talked to this guy before. And, and it turns out that he's from Iowa. So I, it, it was a connection, but um, my suggestion is, is even if you think you might be interested, apply. It's the experience and uh, the fact that you can meet people like um, Kenneth, you, um, the DKM committee, fabulous people. So I say, try it. If you don't make it, try it again. I think our class was especially eager to know each other, to support each other, uh, to support the program itself. What's, what, what were some of the takeaways? Takeaways are, um, to me, connections, um, friendships, uh, connections as far as being able to work together, grow together. Um, I agree. This class that we had in 2021 was so different than my experience in 2018. And I think a lot of that is um, knowing a little bit more of what to expect. And my suggestion is, and Kenneth, yes, I did listen to you, but that first convention, I think I did something from seven in the morning till midnight every day. And so three days in, I was like exhausted. Um, but it, it's, it's that idea that I, I want so much more. And so my suggestion for people would be to take in what you can, but don't do too much because if you get that burnout feeling, then it's like, why am I here? So listen to what your, um, another thing I think is great that Kenneth um, instilled was um, the mentors. The mentors. Yes, that was, was, and I see my, the mentor I had, I saw with on here, I don't know if she still is, but um, you know, I think they, they provide an opportunity as well. And we can all learn from each other, no matter what our level is and what our experience is. You know, you said something about making it bigger in your own mind. And I think I, I think to a certain extent, I did the same thing last year too. Um, it, it, it's a beautiful process. I'm not going to say that it's, it's easy to get through, um, but it's conversational. The interviews are conversational. They're, it, it's a nice 
way to to present yourself to hear um you know what others might think or by the questions that they're asking based upon what you submitted um it isn't it isn't as big i think as we make it in our minds because you know it's an awards committee and we're going to be in front of general session can you speak a little bit more about that part of it because i think that might help folks out there who might be a little afraid of the process or afraid that they don't have that national um notoriety yet and so maybe they wouldn't they they you know they wouldn't shine as much as others would in the process well my my um suggestion would be you know think about it as and i had to do this 2018 i was nervous standing in front of everybody um and i just kind of decided you know i'm gonna pick one person from iowa because then I could, and even though you can't see, you're just kind of focusing in that area and not worrying about everybody that's around you, um, staying in the moment. And one thing that I really think is important is that it's a confidence builder. Um, the difference between 2018 and 2021, my personality changed, um, as in I was more confident in myself. And I'm still getting there. Um, people will know who you are. Um, I just, a girl that I'm friends with now, she's like, your name sounded familiar. She didn't realize that I was a DKM uh, first timer until we were talking about it a week ago. And she's like, no wonder your name sounded familiar. So once your name is out there, people will know who you are and um I have to say, even you kind of have brought it to my attention is people know who you are and they have a lot of respect for you um, because you're taking that step. And it's so important to build your own confidence as well. And that's what has really encouraged me to keep going and keep plugged in because um, confidence is a big thing that we all tend to um, need more of. Yeah. So I want to ask you the same question that I asked Greg, um, you know, in a, in, in, in a way, you're going to go down in ACB history. At some point when they update that history book, your name will probably be in there. How, do, how does it feel knowing that, you know, five, six, seven years ago, you didn't have, you didn't have that confidence in yourself. And now you're a dual award winner. You're on multiple committees. You're on that national level. And you're really, you are really making a difference for the organization. I, um, I think that history book is going to be a phenomenal book to read. Um, there's people, <laughs> yeah. there's people that, um, you know, even I, younger people like Greg and, and younger, um, I've got a couple of people that have been saying, what do I do to apply? And I, kind of told them and and I I'm looking forward to they're kind of thinking they're too late for this year but I I told them they're not because we've got till I believe Tuesday to to apply um but as far as the history book I think it's going to be kind of neat to read and and hear how affiliates like next gen and and part of the ACB diabetics that I'm in um have grown and and like you said the committees that are there. Um, that's another thing that I don't think ACB gets a lot of recognition on or people know about because I didn't know about them is there's a lot of committees 
that are not really affiliates, but they're committees that people can be on and um, cover a wide range of topics and, and areas that I think uh, we need to shine a light on a little bit more. So that's something that I would like to see in the history book is, is more shining on that. Absolutely. All right. We're going to take some questions for Becky. Byron, are there any hands yet? All right. Let's take a look and see if we got any hands. Uh, I do not see any at the moment. Yay. <laughs> no, yay, yay. So um, you are still with Diabetics in Action. And um, from what I hear from those folks, you are indispensable. They're never letting you go anywhere. But what other stuff are you working on now? I um, actually, um, I have been, um, and I just want to kind of touch on them a little bit. I had been part of SASE, which is the sight and sound um, impaired group, um, because I am hearing impaired as well as visually impaired. Um, I've been part of um, the Burl Collie Institute, um, kind of doing some things there. Um, there's some new committees that I'm, I'm kind of stepping into um but I, i'm in a point where for me personally um i i have to limit what i do and it's because of some personal health issues um within my family um so i'm trying not to extend myself but that's one thing when you start getting that confidence you start saying oh i can do this and i can do this and and before you mm-hmm. know it too many things going on and, and I work a full-time job and and so 50 to 60 hours a week working plus doing everything ACB it's like when do you have time to sleep so right now I'm pretty much ACB diabetics um I've been doing some things with uh like I said some of these other committees but um once things settle down in my life then I hope to be able to commit more to some of these committees that I want to see grow. And that's a really important thing to, to make sure you always take stock and, and feel what levels of commitment you have, how much you want to versus how much you can. That's a really important conversation that I, I think we're going to have on Sunday edition. We had one um, about a year and a half, but uh, every, everybody needs to be reminded of, of taking stock and, and taking that me time. Because if you don't take care of you, you can't take care of the organization that you love and everything else you're responsible for. Byron, we'll do one more hand check. Becky, are you in a time crunch or can you stay around for a little while just in case questions come in? I'm sorry, say that again? I will be around till the end. All right. Byron, anyone right now? And I don't see any hands. And, you know, I just have to echo what you said, Anthony, about uh, what Becky just said. Yeah, take that me time. I I have always struggled with um, feeling like I need to bend over backwards to help everybody else. And Anthony has seen me do it. uh, And it's hard. It's hard to say, yeah, I've got too much on my plate. And I know that you really need me to do this thing or that thing or whatever. But like, I can't. (laughs) So good on you for, you know, um, taking that stance and saying, I've, I've got a lot on my plate, and I can only do what I can do. Absolutely. The three of us are definitely getting better at that. (laughs) It's hard. It is definitely hard. All right. I am really excited to speak to this next person. Um, And I'm going to ask because of voiceover and screen readers, I'm going to ask her for the official pronunciation of her last name. Melanie, welcome to Sunday edition. 
Thanks, Anthony. I am so honored to be here. Thank you for the invite. And yes, nobody can say my name, period. <laughs> so um, it is Sanoe. Um, it's Native American and Hispanic. It's my husband's name. So, um, and Alt is my maiden name, which is what everybody knew me as when I won DKM many, many, many years ago. I was only 10, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> So that's why both names are there is because a lot of people don't know my married name. And you are also huge, uh, a huge part of NextGen, but let's go back. Tell us how you found ACB or ACB found you and take us through your early journey to your DKM. Sure. So DKM kind of was just in the natural progression. Um, and I blame my parents for all of this. So <laughs> we moved from California to Texas when I was 10. And when we moved to Texas, they were looking for resources. They didn't know, you know, it was a brand new landscape. And this was um, early 90s. And so they had found the Fort Worth chapter. And we started going to meetings, meeting people. Um, I, I was 11, I think, maybe just before, maybe just before 11, um, when I started going to meetings. And I don't think I could join till I was 13, which I, I just, the first meeting after I could join, I did. <laughs> um, and then the progression just kind of happened. So we were active in the DFW Metroplex with the local chapters. Then we went to our first state convention in Austin um, when I was 16. And so now I started getting involved with um, networking with um, Doc Bradley and Michael Garrett and um, uh, Chris Prentice and um, um, Richard Villa. So all of these names now that from a, another level up, right now I was starting to, if you've ever seen NextGen's um, um, social media, you've seen the term family. Well, that was a term I coined because of Texas. They're my friends who are family. So um, then we started going to state conventions. We start going to board meetings. Um, Texas is a big place. And their board meetings were quarterly and they were somewhere different every quarter. So mom, dad, and I would jump in the car and go explore a new part of Texas and go to a board meeting. So then we started going religiously to conventions and board meetings. Um, when I was 19, I was um, elected to uh, the board of directors. So I was one of the directors at 19. And um, so that was my freshman or sophomore year of college. And um, I chaired the convention committee for the state uh, towards the end of college. Uh, might've been, I think it was 2003. And then it just was that natural progression. So in 2005, when Doc Bradley was our president, he said, I need you to do this. <laughs> I said, what? You know, these are names. And it kind of goes to that history question. These are names that are, are just immortal names. And I hadn't read it. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, Derwood was an immortal name. Um, MJ Schmidt, um, you know, um, Charlie Hodges, you know, all these, these, just these names, Terry Pacheco, these names that, you know, you didn't get on Zoom and talk to, you didn't have, you had to build those connections in person. So I had applied for it um, and was absolutely honored to win and completely shocked because kind of like it was referenced before, right? Who was I? Yeah, Texas knew me, but nobody nationals knew me, but it was just that next progression. So then um, in 2005, we had convention in Vegas 
and it was it was mesmerizing um I think the biggest plus to it was the networking um I finally got to meet those names um I finally got to socially meet those names right not the official title and position thing it was hey we're standing at the breakfast counter getting bagels let's chit chat um I'll be honest I don't remember the process I know I wrote a letter I know doc wrote a letter I couldn't tell you at this point if there was a an interview I have no idea um but I can just tell you that my jaw hit the floor um to be even thought of at such a young age on that potential level. And so when you stood at that general assembly and a, a general session, you know, and, and faced that room, what went through your head? Um, I think the first thing probably was, and this is really funny. So I grabbed my, I still have the convention program and the Braille forum. And I pulled them out last night. There were <laughs> 1,665 people at convention that year. No big deal, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and the way the room was set up, they were all long tables, huge, huge wide room. And every couple of tables was a different state. And most of the states and affiliates, you know, all sat together. And I just remember trying to find Texas <laughs> so that I could talk to Texas and not flubber. <laughs> um, but it was, it was, oh my God, I'm on this stage. I don't, honestly, I don't want to let anybody down. There was a little bit of doubt. Um, was I the right person? I think I knew I was, but you know, you're young. It's, it's very different. Everybody wants to meet you, right? Everybody. That's daunting in itself. Um, but I think it was just, oh my God, I'm on this, I'm on this stage and I, I don't want to let anybody down. And what was it like going back to Texas? Oh, it was so cool <laughs> <laughs> because they were my family. Right. So, <laughs> um, it put things in perspective. So since I had been so active, um, at the state level, you know, parts of nationals weren't daunting to me. Um, you know, I was the weird kid that at 16 bought a copy of Robert's Rules of Order because I wanted to know what these crazy words and phrases everybody was talking about. <laughs> the general session, and I still have it. It's right here next to my desk, a little outlaid, out, outdated, but, but the, uh, so, so going to general sessions and all that wasn't, wasn't crazy to me because I understood more of the language and all that, but then coming home it was, oh my God, now you, you get that fire. I think every one of us, even if it's virtual, after that week and after you sleep mm. for another week, you just want to run. You are so energized to just do the next project and get on a call or get in person and brainstorm the next thing and just go. Um, and I, I, I think I felt that after every single convention, even after that first one, you just you're just rejuvenated. You're rejuvenated and you're amped up and you just want to go get some work done. So we'll talk about next gen in a second. You've done some amazing things in Texas. Every everybody I've ever spoken to about you has glowing things to say. What are what are some of the things you are most proud of? Um in Texas? Mm -hmm. Probably chairing my first in-person convention. Um 
Texas is not a small state. <laughs> um, so that was 2003, I think. Um, and we had it up in, in Dallas, Fort Worth. Um, and it was really cool because usually one chapter would, um, one chapter would host it, but we brought Dallas and Fort Worth together. And if you've ever been there, they're 30, 45 minutes apart, depending, yeah. you know, like downtown to downtown. Um, their transit's different. Getting from one county to the other, not easy, but we said, nope. So Fort Worth and Dallas came together and we put on convention that year in person. Um, and that I think sparked my, my convention my love of conventions. Um, I'm on Arizona's convention committee. I'm the co-chair this year of Next Gens. I was chair last year. Convention is just my thing. It's my. It's just my thing. So let's talk about Next Gen for a moment or two. Um, you guys, like I said earlier, have exploded. Have really cemented your place as an affiliate. What um What is your Next Gen journey? What's I'm sorry. What's your Next Gen journey? So my next gen journey, I, I wasn't lucky enough to uh, join on the ground level, but I got there as fast as I could. <laughs> uh, the 2020 convention happened, obviously, the blessing in disguise of COVID was virtual. Um, so I had uh, started, to I don't even know, I must have gone to the meet and greet or something and just was like, oh my God, this is what we had always wanted when I was a kid. Um, we tried to start NABS up that, that worked for a while and then it I don't really know what happened, honestly. And then I was, I stopped being a student. And then I fell into this world of, okay, well, I'm, I'm not a student anymore. Now, where do I fit? I don't know. Um, and I've always been kind of an older soul. So I've always um, gotten along really well with a different generation. It's never, it's never phased me. It's never phased them, I don't think. But it's really reassuring and comforting to be around people that are that get you right that went through school the same way that you you get those generational things. Yeah. So um, after that, I started. I mean, I went to everything, every social at night, just meeting people, and then um, I went to the board meetings. I got on the PR committee. I got on the programs committee. Um, I think that was that fall and then I had expressed my my desire to Amanda to chair convention committee for um, 2021 um, and she appointed me chair of that um, then I got into publications with Greg once we stood that committee up um, I was voted uh, elected as a director on the board and then um, this past December and then when we had a vacancy I was appointed into second vice president so kind of what Becky had said earlier, right? Now things are starting to expand and it's like, you have to balance. So, uh, you know, I'm, I, I did what I could on some committees and I came off of them. Um, and just to said, where are my, where are my priorities? Where is my passion? Um, and that's where I'm sitting at uh, right now. And we all know convention time. So things are crazy good right now, but they're crazy. So um, <laughs> it'll be, it'll be good in about a week. <laughs> so I'm going to flip the question for you. Doc pretty much said you're doing this, but for members out there who may see someone a little like you or with a fire with, with some kind of a passion that, that we know has leadership potential, how, how would someone, if they were approaching you, if you, if you were back in those days, if Doc didn't say you're doing this, how would you have wanted to be approached by a member 
to consider be applying. Honestly, just like that, the confidence it gives you, the confidence it gives you for someone that you look up to and someone that has been mentoring you without necessarily the title to have that kind of confidence. And I think Doc at the time was on the board of directors for nationals. So, you know, they're looking at this through a different, a different lens. And when you have those people that, you're, that are looking at you that way, um, not just because they're your friends, not just because you necessarily worked on a committee together maybe, um, but they're looking at you from that level it can't, it doesn't do anything but co put confidence in you. And you almost, I'm sure there are some people that would say no, but I don't know how you say no to that. Because if they've got the confidence in you, you, you just need to have it <laughs> or build it. Um, but I think it's just a matter of that kind of straight talk. Hey, I know this might be scary. I know this might be a lot. Um, I see in you, and, and what, I, what I remember Doc saying to me was, you know, I see in you what I see in, in myself, which is just that person that runs and runs and runs, right? Yeah. Um, and so I don't know that I would want a, an approach any differently because they're, they're looking at you through that different lens. So let me ask you this, and then I'm going to transition to Kenneth, and then we'll take questions together. But um, will I have you back on Sunday edition in a year or two as a J.P. Morgan Chase fellow? I don't, that's funny. So Kenneth, <laughs> so Kenneth <laughs> asked me this last year, I think. And I, and I told him, I said, you know, I've, I've worked for a company for just had my 14th year anniversary that has put a ton of time and energy and money into leadership trainings and um, mentoring and, and all of that kind of thing. And I never, when he asked me about it, cause a, I didn't know that you could do both. So shout out, you can do DKM and chase. <laughs> <laughs> um, had no idea you could do it. But I said to him, I said, I don't want to take that spot. I've had so many experiences that I don't feel right taking that spot from someone. Um, and he said, you know, basically, you're, you're not like, that's not the point, right. Um, but then the flip side is, is I kind of have come full circle. So I was uh, blessed enough to be appointed to the DKM committee. So I've never asked Kenneth this. I don't know if I could apply. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I've had, you know, now this, this is my first year on the DKM committee, which I've always wanted to do because I've always wanted to pay back. DKM yeah. did so much for me at such a young age that I just wanted to give back. Um, and Something too, if you don't mind this little shout out, because I'm super excited about this. Um, Becky and Greg made comments about, um, I'm sorry, I think it was Becky and Anthony, you made comments about your class yeah. um, and the camaraderie in that class. Well, there were two of us, right? Chase didn't start till 2016. Um, DKM, there were two of us, you know, every year. And I think I was the 10th class because it started in 96. So we didn't have that kind of camaraderie. But um, we have initiated the Derwood K. McDaniel Leadership Select Honor Society. It launched January 31st. Um, and it kind of like, think about high school, right? You had your National Honor Society. Um, I want letter jackets, but I don't know if we're gonna get them. But it's that concept, right? That all of these classes of um, DKM winners and Chase fellow winners, fellowship winners are gonna be members of this honor society. Um, nice. And now you've got another way to build all of those connections. You guys had a great start, 
we kind of have to come in and go, okay, cool. Who is everybody? Cause <laughs> you know, and I, and I, I could hear that in both of your voices, the excitement in, or the pride, I think in that. Um, so there is going to be an induction ceremony um, during the 2022 convention. So all of the previous classes will be inducted. Um, I will tell you one thing that shout out to anybody that's listening. If you're a recipient of DKM or Chase, um, we do need your current contact information. So we've been reaching out to everybody that we can, um, but there's some holes. So if anybody's listening, um, if you can get Kenneth, um, your current contact information, um, and I'll just put this out real quick. So if you can email him at Simeon, so S is in Sam, E, M is in Mary, I, E, N is in Nancy, dot K at att.net. Um, or you can give him a call at 409-866-5838. We need that contact information so that we can get everybody um, involved and inducted and connected. So that's my shameless plug, but that was something that caught my ear from both of you guys. Um, and it was definitely a piece that I wish we had back then. It just, there wasn't volume. You just didn't. Um, so yeah. now we get to do that. Well, I'm, I'm definitely with you. I'd like a leather jacket too. That, that, would, be pretty, <laughs> that would be pretty hot. <laughs> so let's pull Kenneth back into this conversation. Cause Kenneth, I mean, if, if we're going to talk full circle, um, you're the, you're, I mean, you're the embodiment. I, I have to say this. I said it last year. Um, you know, when we did the post show uh, here on Sunday edition after convention, but you know, Kenneth inspires me like huge, the organization, the attention to detail, the Bonhomie, you know, reaching out and making sure we're all okay. Um, you know, he really takes sort of like the Papa Smurf role once, you know, once you've been selected and you're, you know, you're in the class he takes that Papa Smurf role, making sure we're all good and we have everything we need and we're give, giving everything in that we need to give in and just checking in personally, you know, hey, how are you feeling and all that. But um, your organizational skills, man, I'm, you know, and I consider myself a huge type A Virgo. So if I'm saying you're more organized <laughs> and I'm learning from you, that's, that's, that's a compliment. But um, talk about the full circleness of your journey. Well, um, I do want to say uh, just compliment Melanie. She is fabulous, and I'm inspired today. As you've been talking, you all have been talking. I'm kind of wiping my eyes because uh, I really see you all. You, I feel you, and I, I want to just help you along the way. We have one another along the way. But thanks for everything. I tell you, I have been able to serve on. I said all levels: special interest affiliate, uh, state affiliate president, uh, chapter president committees on all levels it's been fun and i love everything everybody said about uh you know looking at the time that you give uh you have to take some time for yourself i love that kind of conversation we have to take care of ourselves in order to continue to do good for everyone else so but uh there i, I know our time is limited anthony so i just want to say we'll, we'll be glad to come back another time but uh all of the things that we are doing just to try to connect people to a bigger picture about what's really happening around them. There's so much more to know about ACB that a lot of folks don't know. And it's time to start tuning in to every community meeting and everything you can to learn more about ACB. Visit the acb.org website to look at all the committees and different things that are going on to help better educate yourself. And then that helps us all to connect. And I'm willing to talk to anybody that wants to learn some things that I know about 
and I'm continuing to learn every day. Uh, just a great privilege serving as chair of this committee. And Melanie, I'm so glad you joined us. Uh, Melanie has the energy that we need. Uh, I'm telling Absolutely. you, so, so, so glad about it. So, Kenneth, real quick, um, you know, for for folks that are in their local chapters or in their, you know, in their state or special interest affiliates, and especially to those special interest and in state presidents, um, if there's a Melanie or or a Becky or a Greg that, you know, hasn't been recognized, tell us what to do. Yeah, I would encourage everybody to get to know who your chapter president is. I mean, all, all the officers there. Uh, one thing I like to share with everybody, I have 15 ways to maximize your ACB membership. I'm always ready to share that document because it tells you about getting connected with everybody on every level you can. Uh, start learning, reading, asking questions, uh, okay? And tell, tell your president about things that you'd like to achieve and how can ask them how can they help. And if they, if not, if they can't seem to help, maybe in a certain area you need it, ask them how you can get connected with someone else that may be able to give you some insight that'll help you along the way. We really don't want you just to be a part of the organization and not share all of your abilities. So the good thing to do is get connected, ask questions. Uh, number one in the 15 ways to maximize your membership is be inquisitive, ask questions. And don't wait for people to just tell you everything because there's so much going on. They may not have that time just when you need it. So begin to ask questions and don't hesitate. Absolutely. All right, Byron, let's do a quick hand check, see how many we might have up. All right, let's check and see who we got. Um, all right, I don't see anyone, uh, but I am going to uh, recognize that, um, you know, uh, Melanie and Greg and, and Becky and everyone else who has been through this program they're all doers. You know, they're all people that um, their mission is to to help. Their mission is to contribute to the organization. And, um, you know, this is just this is just an, a recognition of that drive and that desire to help. Yeah. So I didn't speak much about my experience, but I've spoken on various Sunday editions in the past. I, I'm so proud to to have been part of of, of this program, part of the class that that I'm a part of. And, and that this year at convention, three of us, three classes will be in the spotlight and will be um, inducted and hopefully getting letterman jackets, but um, I'm so proud. And, Sorry, and I will always. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to carry that torch long and, and, and very high. Um, but yeah, I will always support DKM first timers and JP Morgan Chase. So if you have any questions for Kenneth, um, uh, Melanie gave out his email address before, but you can always use Sunday edition AC at Gmail, and I can forward um, along to any of our panelists. And that email is open at any time. Kenneth, Melanie, Becky, I know Craig already left, but Greg, thank you all so much for coming on today. And we are really looking forward to who the class of 2022 is going to be this year. Anthony, any final thoughts, anyone? I do see a, a last minute question in here if you want to address it. All right. Yeah, let's jump. Let's jump it real quick. And All then right. we'll take our quick break. Okay. I see a 916 area code with her hand up. I have a feeling that's our friend. Go ahead and unmute 916. There we go. I'm unmuted. Hi. Yes, it is our friend. <laughs> <laughs> you know, here's what I want to say. I am so proud of both of these programs. 
I am so proud that we have a way to bring in people into this organization that have not been involved very much or at all on a national level. I came into this organization in 1984 as a teenager, as a scholarship recipient, and each state used to send someone. And that was the last year because of financial challenges. And we have reinvented the wheel in a very different way, but with the same similar results and not only restricted to students. And I could not personally think of a better person to be at the helm of this than Mr. Kenneth Simeon, who just gives tirelessly and mentors, and he's just a role model person, and now he's on the board, and he just has so much to give and so much love. And I want to yeah. say, Kenneth, I appreciate you um, so much, and I'm so proud that you are at the helm of this beautiful program that serves new people in ACB. So thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back with Dr. Joel Snyder. Do you remember BPI? Oh yeah, Blind LGBT Pride International. They're a special interest affiliate of ACB. Yes, they are the ones doing all these cool things at convention. Guess what they're up to now? Do tell. Their own show. It's called Pride Connection. That's great, but what if I'm not a part of the LGBT community? This is a show for everyone. Actually, non-LGBT and non-disabled folks are known as allies, and they are a huge portion of BPI's membership. Everyone is welcome. So what kinds of topics can I expect from Pride Connection? Fun and relevant topics for everyone, from blindness to LGBT education, technology to advocacy. So when will Pride Connection take place? Every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Be sure to tune in so we can all connect and learn while having fun. Pride Connection on, on ACB Radio Mainstream. Mainstream. Well, it's actually ACB Media, but uh, yeah, well, we, we don't play that promo very often because we want to elevate other things other than what Anthony and I are, are involved in. But it is the two-year anniversary of Pride Connection, so I figured... We got to play the Pride Connection promo. I'm really glad you did. You know, again, I am so proud of the production level of, hey, I am so proud that we have made it to two years worth of Pride Connections. We have had some fantastic, amazing, incredible conversations. And if you go to ACB Media, click on Podcasts, click and click on Pride Connection, you will get our latest episode, which is our two-year anniversary celebration all orchestrated, engineered, and conceptualized by the incredible, the fabulous Mr. Byron Lane. And we can't Before, forget we can't forget our lovely uh, editor Tim as well. Tim, Tim Cummins. Tim, absolutely. Tim Cummins, yeah. And so many folks from BPI, you know, helped us pull the clips, and it was a real team effort. Um, before I introduce my next guest, I also want to remind folks: furry tales, furry, furry, furry tales, recognizing the memorable guide dogs over the last sixty years within our American Council of the Blind community. If you have had a memorable guide dog, or you remember a memorable guide dog and want to nominate, please send anywhere from five hundred to seven hundred words with a picture, hopefully, but it's not required. If you don't have a picture, we'll figure something out. Um, to Sunday edition, AC at gmail.com. That's Sunday edition with my initials, AC 
at gmail.com. We are partnering, Byron and myself, Sunday Edition, is partnering with GDUI to present furry tales at this year's national convention. So we'd like to hear all those amazing Wolf Wolf skilled professional stories. And um, Byron will be picking out some nominations towards the end of April. You can, you can send your nominations in any time between now and April 30th. Are you looking forward to hearing some of these stories, Byron? Oh my God, I can't wait. I, I know some really amazing guide dogs throughout my, my life that I've seen friends uh, work with. And man, they these dogs go above and beyond. Um, they're amazing. We'll poke some of them to nominate their, their, their furry skilled professionals. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. I am thrilled to welcome back to Sunday Edition, one of our special friends. He's been on multiple times. Welcome back, Dr. Joel Snyder, author of The Visual Made Verbal and our coordinator slash consultant for the ADP, the well, Audio Description Project. Thank you so much. Among so many other things. Oh, goodness <laughs> gracious. Thank you so much, Anthony. I, I will say, just to, get, just to get all the terminology straight, that uh, JoLynn Bailey-Page is the Audio Description Project coordinator, and she's a staff person at ACB, which uh, that really represents, uh, I think, an advance forward for the Audio Description Project oh, yeah. to bring, bring it in, uh, in-house. I founded the program, and my title is founder slash senior consultant. I founded it uh, some 12 years ago, along with uh, oh, Chris Gray and Mitch Pomerantz and others. And um, so I'm, I'm very pleased to be uh, to stay on as a as a consultant and uh, on a, as a contractor to ACB and the audio description project. And it's great to be back with you again. So Thanks. there well, we're going we're gonna to do double duty today. Um, first, I want to talk about a project that just wrapped up. And then I want to pick your brain a little bit about the Oscars. But, oh, um, my. I am really excited. Uh, little Birdie, um, quite possibly named JoLynn, told me about <laughs> um, how successful this year's Audio Description Institute is, uh, was, is, and how many American Council of the Blind members participated both as presenters and or facilitators and as students. So, Joel, yeah. the floor is yours. Tell us about the Audio Description Institute. Sure. Well, we had a great time. Um, the the institute, uh, we've been running this twice a year, right since the beginning. So the one we just completed last week was our nineteenth audio description institute. Um, the third one done virtually, and we will be reprising it in the summer. Um, in fact, we just set those dates: April. I'm sorry, August, August eighth through twelfth. Uh, once again, virtually. Hopefully next year in 23, we'll be back uh, again uh, doing it in conjunction with the leadership meeting in February. And then, of course, at the uh, conference in 23, we'll be in the Chicago area. So we had a great uh, session this last time. If I do say so myself, we've had we had more faculty and uh, really the second highest attendance we've ever had. We had 43 participants from 19 states and and three countries um four countries counting the united states of course we had italy and spain and uh, colombia represented it was it was really uh, just i'm i'm always impressed with the the quality of the folks that uh, are interested in pursuing audio description and want to get some some real nuts and bolts guidance as to how to do it and do it well 
and I think it it went very well. You know, let's see. You know, I do want to acknowledge the the faculty. Uh, we yes. had seven uh, faculty members uh, besides myself. Uh, there was um, um, uh, Joyce Adams and Elisa Jansen, who are top audio describers, just for many many years. Uh, cited folks who are just writers of description and and real advocates for audio description, and then we had uh, Chris Snyder and um, and uh, Susan Glass, who are both ACB members uh, and both totally blind and both totally involved with audio description uh, in different ways, really. Chris, well, Susan is a, a retired uh, college professor, English professor, and crafting audio descriptions is all about the words, really, you know? And her, she just brings a wonderful perspective to it. She's also the chair of the Audio Description mm-hmm. Project's uh, Beatty Contest, Benefits of Audio Description in Education, where we acknowledge uh, essays written by kids uh, blind kids who write reviews of described media, and we give them prizes. We've been doing that program for almost the entire time of the Audio Description Project, and, and that's been great fun. Chris Snyder, and I know you know Chris, uh, he is um, just uh, a kind of a triple threat in the audio description world because he is Absolutely. a he, he's a top-notch audio editor. That's how I first got to know him. But he is an expert voice talent, uh, and he's also um, an accomplished consultant or, you know, we use the word consumer consultant or or we say um, quality control uh, expert because people who are blind, like I said with Susan, she's a master of words and language. And uh, a a blind person can add a marvelous perspective and a, a, a marvelous verbal perspective to the audio description scripts that a sighted describer may develop. Uh, and in that way, it's, a, it's a, a joint effort between that sighted describer and an expert like Chris or Susan or, or others. So it was great having Chris and Susan there. I, I say we had um, Elisa and Joyce, but this time we also had um, Roy Samuelson, who I, I know you know as well. He's been a keynote speaker at the ACB conference, uh, a talented voice talent uh, for audio description. He has, he has provided the voice for, uh, I think it's, it's uh, fair to say thousands of films and videos and television yeah. programs. Um, but more, more than that, he is, he has just, He's made it his business to advocate for audio description and, and to advocate for the involvement of people who are blind in the production of audio description. So he's a great friend. Uh, and so he, along with Satona Howry, uh, who I'm sure you know um, as well, a blind woman based in New York State, uh, she's a, a marvelous voice talent. That's where uh, she, how she makes her living, uh, but not just with audio description voicing, you know, voicing, oh golly, commercials and narrations and all manner of other uh, kinds of work. So those six folks with myself, seven faculty members, um, and, and many of them, I, if not all of them are ACB members. I, as far as the participants, you know, we didn't actually ask them if they're ACB members or not, but I'm sure we had at least three or four uh, people who are blind 
part of the class as participants, because again, um, you know, it's not just a, a matter of, you know, grab a blind person off the street and have him uh, consult with you. No, <laughs> I mean, that's a certain perspective that's valuable, but they need to know about audio description. They need to have experience in, in listening to it critically and, and thinking about it and going through training like, like we offer at the Audio Description Institute. So in, in a thumbnail, that's pretty much what we did this past week. And I, I like the thing quite successfully. Let me also acknowledge, uh, by the way, let me acknowledge um, uh, Deb Cook-Lewis, who is yes. ACC's uh, first vice president. Boy, what a what an amazing uh, mentor to me in uh, the, the ins and outs of Zoom. Uh, we <laughs> we we could not be doing this virtually without Deb Cook Lewis, and she was assisted this year, uh, this this last session by Sheila Young uh, in Florida, who is uh, another Zoom wizard. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, uh, we rely on that kind of expertise to make it all work. Uh, we will again in the summer, of course. And, um, you know, we're hoping we'll be back uh, in person next February and next uh, August uh, uh, of 2023. Um, we'll see how all that goes. We'll see how COVID goes, I guess. Uh, I suspect we'll be able to be back in, in, per in person, maybe with a virtual component as well. It, we've talked about that. I, I don't know. That's a little tricky to do the hybrid uh, version, but um, but uh, it went well, and I'm, I'm so pleased that you asked about it. And uh, uh, as I say, we had 43 participants. Uh, once before, we, one of the virtual sessions, we had over 60 participants. Um, I guess that's the thing about doing it virtually. It's a little easier to have more people. When we're in person, you know, about 20 is the limit or so, um, because uh, it just gets a little unruly with uh, 60 bodies in the room uh, and trying to have them in different small groups and, and space is a concern and such. Um, but it's, it's a little easier virtually. So um, we got to get you in one of these institutes, Anthony. Yes, we hey. do. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I wanted to point out, you mentioned Satana and Satana will be here the second week of April. So we are very excited. Oh, to great have conversation. I know, you know, there are a couple of folks out there who want to ask about the Seinfeld experience, of course. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. But I want to focus in a little bit um, on the Institute. <clears throat> sure. So give us give us kind of a run through of the programming and what, you know, what's expected of the participants and what the participants can expect to walk away with after, after they've gone through the process. You bet. You bet. Well, it's a um... The way we've designed it, um, yeah, certainly the virtual um, aspect of it, a little different from the in-person. The in-person, um, it's usually been three full days, live and in-person uh, in a hotel. Um, the virtual has been five half days, comes out to about the same number of hours. And what we've, what we've done, I'll, I'll just use the virtual uh, as an example, since it's fresh in my mind, the first two days involve a lot of just back and forth discussion, lecture, um, a lot of material that I developed in uh, in putting together, uh, well, first my own uh, doctoral dissertation, but then the book, The Visual Made Verbal, published by ACB in, in 2014. Um, and I, I think what we try to do first is understand what audio description is. Uh, writ large, and its different perspectives. 
I, I like to spend time on the history of audio description. Um, that's a whole chapter in my book. Um, as, as you know, it, it was born uh, as an ongoing service in the Washington, D.C. area where I am in 1981 and, and by a, a blind woman. Uh, uh, and a blind guy, I should say, Dr. Margaret Fangdiel, uh and Chet Avery, who was a worker at the Department of Education. Uh, the two of them were on a panel at Arena Stage in Washington uh, and, and looking at different kinds of accessibility efforts. And uh, w- one thing led to another. And Margaret uh, thought, well, she, she's running the Washington Ear, a radio reading service. And w- when the, the idea of description got bandied about, she thought, well, you know, we could work with that because we have we have uh, readers and voice talents and English professors. I was already at the ear for 10 years as a volunteer reader, um, reading this, the Washington Post on Sundays. Uh, how do you do that without uh, and get to the comics without describing images? So throughout the, the 70s, I was a describer and I didn't even know I were one, if you will. <laughs> but, so there's a lot, and then there's history going back beyond, beyond that. Uh, in the 70s, a fellow wrote an, a, a paper, a master's thesis on, on the concept. Um, and then I go back even further and how audio description um, has been practiced by just lay people, uh, going back to prehistoric times or, and, and certainly ancient Greek times. Uh, so we do some work on history. And then we, we really jump in first and foremost with the, the consumers of description, people, the the principal consumers of description, I should say, people who are blind or have low vision. Um, You know, it's been shown that description is helpful for people who are learning a new language, people who are uh, maybe have uh, learning disabilities, people on the autism spectrum. Um, But, you know, sighted people too. If If you're in the kitchen making a sandwich while the TV is on in the living room, uh, well, you don't miss a beat if you've got the audio description on. Uh, so, but we focus principally on 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 that principal audience for audio description, folks who are blind. You know, with the the tremendous growth in description for media, uh, for for television broadcasts beginning in the late '80s, uh, but then on VHS and then on DVDs and and now exploding in uh, streaming services. Uh, and also uh, uh, having increased in uh, broadcast television, thanks to the passage of the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act. So there's a lot of all of that kind of thing combined. There's a lot of work available for people who want to write description for, for media. My point, though, is that I dare say most of those folks writing description, usually from home for media, most of those folks have never met somebody who's blind. Yeah. And, and, you know, I just, that's why it's so important to have Chris and, and Susan and, and others involved in the training because they add this perspective that is no one else can provide really a perspective of the, the consummate advocate and user of description, but someone who knows about what makes for good description knowing that, you know, and that's another reason why it's so great when we do these in person, uh, especially in the summer. Uh, I, I say to sighted people, you know, you haven't lived unless you've been in a room with 2,000 blind people. 
uh, <laughs> it, it, you know, and, and we have them as part of the training and such. And, and you, uh, Susan Glass, in fact, I gotta, I gotta uh, digress for a second here. She, um, as a valued member of the audio description project, uh, steering committee, she came up with an idea, uh, for our audio description project conferences, whereby people who are blind, uh, ACB members would mentor sighted folks who were taking the description training uh-huh. and, and you know and, and mentor in the sense of they they meet they go out to dinner they might go to a museum they go to a show they just become buddies and friends and the the sighted describer describer to be really gets that perspective on a one-to-one real close basis so susan just came up with that and that we've run with that every every time we've had one of these audio full audio description project conferences um so we we work with what is it about people who are blind uh, uh, you know they are not the blind because they are as different as one from another as as anyone uh and they're people with tremendous abilities we try to get that across and dispel any any sense of uh, you're providing a service for these poor, unfortunate folks, and aren't we wonderful people to be so kind or something? Oh, boy. Um, we d- just really try to get away from that kind of notion. It's a professional activity. People are taking advantage of it, and they deserve top-notch quality uh, from that service. Um, we, go from, we go from there uh, to... The, what I call the four fundamentals of audio description, the, the four aspects that I think anybody who wants to be good at audio description really has to master. And, and the first is observation. You know, the, the, the people who can see, generally speaking, <clears throat> they don't observe. They walk through life uh, seeing in a passive way. Mm-hmm. Visual images wash over them. And, um, you know, Helen, I, I oftentimes quote Helen Keller, uh, people who have never uh, had an impairment of sight or, or hearing, you know, take those faculties for granted and, and they don't really use them. And you can't do that with sight, especially as an audio describer. You have to learn how to observe, see anew. Uh, develop a sense of visual literacy. Um, see with exactitude is the um, uh, phrase that uh, uh, I think that was uh, Goethe came up with that phrase. Uh, but that's so important to really notice the world around us. Notice every aspect of that play you're going to describe, of that television program, of that museum exhibit. The second fundamental. Um, it kind of it throws people for a loop in a way because it's it, it's all about editing or determining yeah. what are the key visual aspects of everything you've observed. So I say it, it throws people for a loop because we're talking about seeing everything, seeing it, observing everything, and then guess what? You're going to get rid of most of it. Description is is oftentimes about what not to describe and for the very obvious reason that there's no time to describe everything um even if there was you know the old phrase uh, a picture's worth a thousand words i haven't met too many blind people who want to hear about a picture 
want to hear a thousand words about a picture unless they're you know an academic of some sort they're studying it or something no i think the describer says that a, a few well-chosen words conjures vivid uh, images in the mind's Absolutely. eye you know uh, so less is more type thing but you have to zero in on what's as i say what is most critical to an understanding he points to his head and an appreciation, his hand is on his heart, of the image. Zero in on that for two reasons. A, there's no time, especially television and performing arts. You're, you're sandwiching in, you're weaving descriptive language around critical sound elements. But secondly, you know, I think it makes for better writing and better description if you edit back, if you pull back and focus in on what's most um, most critical. I, I oftentimes will show a picture of Tiger Woods squatting on a green. Uh, he's got his elbows at his knees. A putter is leaning against his left shoulder and his hands are cupped around the brim of his cap, folded down along the sides of his face like blinders on a horse. Well, what do blinders on a horse do? They, they, they let the horse focus in on what's straight ahead. The rider does not want the horse distracted by everything else that's out there. So the, the quote that's associated with that image is um, sometimes you need to see less in order to accomplish so more. Yeah. Uh, and that's what Tiger Woods is doing. He's lining up a shot. He wants to make that putt. So he wants to see less. He wants to really focus in on what's most important. We, we, we teach uh, focusing in on the essence. And, and sometimes that means uh, of research, uh, consulting the internet, consulting a curator, um, working with the director of a production, et cetera, to really hone in on the, uh, home in on the, the essence. And then um, the third fundamental is really where we actually spend the most time, which is language, uh, the words. We are, we are translators, um, and indeed, audio description is studied in Europe as a kind of audiovisual translation akin to coming up with subtitles or dubs. Uh, we are translating visual images to words, uh, as few words, succinct, vivid, imaginative words. So if you need to convey the height of the Washington Monument here in D.C., you know, you could say to somebody, well, it's 555 feet tall. And that's true. But if, if you're like most folks, you know, you're not an architect or an engineer. What does 500 feet mean? I, how is that different than 300 feet? Uh, obviously, it's more, but it's hard to grasp that. I think the height could be more vividly uh, conveyed by noting that the monument is 20 times taller than the ring of flagpoles at its base, or it's as tall as a 55-story building, or as tall as, almost as tall as two football fields stood up vertically. You know, whoa, that's big, right? So <laughs> we're looking for imagination and vividness in, in the development of language. Um, at the same time, we're, we're looking for um, objectivity. Uh, you know, there's a big difference between 
let's say I was going to describe uh, Anthony um, and uh, Anthony, I'm, I'm making this up. Of course, Anthony is, is Anthony's crying. Anthony. Oh, Anthony, you look so sad. You seem distraught. Uh, tears are streaming down your face, et cetera, et cetera. Um, now, if you were actually crying and, and in that state, I would maintain that what I just said was a very bad description because I indicated you were sad, you were distraught. Well, you may very well have just won the Florida lottery. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're, well, you're witness the birth of my first niece. Yeah, there you, there you go. <laughs> Those are tears of joy. You know, you're now a multimillionaire, Anthony. You can you can quit this ACB gig and go buy an island somewhere or something and just live it up, right? You, you know, in other words, we subjectively interpret the world around us. And it's easy for me to look at somebody who's crying and say, oh, no, they're sad. Well, no, what you can see is the outward physical manifestation of an inner state. You can't really see what's in somebody's head or in their soul or what's going on with their emotions. Uh, and, and you know what, blind people don't want to know that. They want to discover that. So we describe, we don't explain, we show. We don't tell you that the person is sad. We show you what's going on. And in the context, you'll, you'll realize, oh, those are tears of joy or whatever, and go on, go on from there. So the use of language is, is just such an important, obviously, uh, an important part of this. And then 98, 99% of all description is voiced. It is uh, read aloud. It is oral, A-U-R-A-L, and oral, O-R-A-L. And so we, we, we work a bit, and this was this so great this last time to have Roy and Satana, because they do this professionally, as I have done in the past, but they bring such a great and even more recent perspective to how the voice is used to make meaning. So um, yeah, real quickly, here's, a, here's an example of, a, of, of what I'm talking about here. I'll put up on the, the PowerPoint screen the phrase, woman without her man is a savage. Now, I don't know, Anthony, do you agree with that uh, perspective that woman without her man is a savage? Is it, that sounds pretty misogynistic, um, if I do say. Uh, Yeah, if I was a woman listening to that, or anybody listening to that, you should be offended. Woman without her man is a savage. Well, how would you voice those exact words? Don't add any, don't take any away, don't rearrange them. Woman without her man is a savage. Just the, with the way you voice it, how could you make it mean the opposite? Go ahead, Anthony. <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot here. Woman without her man is a savage. Make it mean the opposite. Woman without her man is a savage. Uh, uh, oh, now, you know, I thought you almost had it there, but, but you know, I think what you just now voiced, it still sounds like the woman is a savage. And I want this to, I want you to convey the opposite. All right, I'll try one more time. <laughs> Woman, without her man, she's a savage. Oh, she's still a, <laughs> she's still a savage. I'll tell you what, I like the way, you know, when you said woman, it was almost like you put a, you put a colon after it. You pause. Yes. So now put in a comma 
after her. Try it. Try it again. All right. Woman, without her, man is a savage. There you go. All right. Okay. <laughs> there you go. It, you know, it, suddenly now the man is the savage, right? And all because you voiced it a little differently. Uh, that, you know, punctuation is simply a visual way of expressing how you want a phrase to sound, um, yes. you know, so, and, and the, the oral interpretation fundamentals of pause and volume and inflection and such, those are oral ways of indicating what you see on a printed page when you're reading aloud, writing, that kind of thing. And not a printed page, it could be Braille, could, whatever it is. Uh, so vocal skills are critical to all of this. And like I say, this past session, we were real fortunate to have Roy and Satana uh, play with us on, on that and, and, and give a perspective of, you know, geez, these, these people are making a living uh, at voicing audio description and other things, too. Um, but again, having Chris and Susan there, you can make money, uh, a living even, um, at consulting on description, at writing description, at, at audio editing for description, for sure. Um, and and, and that, that, that's a talent that's needed more and more. Um, even, uh, I, I must say, uh, in the face of some, some audio description producers uh, using AI, using computer animation, not animation, but, but computer technology to automate, automate the audio editing process. Uh, Chris spoke so eloquently about this. There just is nothing that can compare to what a human being uh, can do Absolutely. if they're a skilled audio editor like Chris is, or Bill Parks, who's my audio editor here in the Washington DC area. Um, just, just, just no, there's just no comparing. Same with voice talent. Um, you know, um, in fact, this, it, this may have even been discussed on your show. It'd be a good, it'd be a good topic for discussion. Uh, ACB's having discussions with Amazon because they're looking at using uh, text-to-speech, synthesized speech, to voice audio description for some of their, uh, they say some of their, you know, older titles that wouldn't be described otherwise, that they're saving a few pennies, and it allows them to do the description. I, it's tough for me to hear about saving a few pennies when we're talking about Amazon.com uh, and yeah. cutting corners. Um, I'm sorry, but I will take Satana or Roy or Chris or Thomas Reed or Nefertiti Oliveros or, you know, any of the marvelous voice myself, you know, marvelous voice talents out there over a computer. It, it's just not there yet. And I don't, I don't know that it will ever be at a place where it can convey the nuance that a, a live and trained and skilled audio voice talent, uh, a voice talent can, can convey. So that's something to, that's on the horizon. Uh, and we're working on that. So I want to alert Byron. We're going to go to questions in a moment or two. Um, <clears throat> Joel, while I was listening to you, I was thinking uh, Sunday Edition has partnered up with with you, has partnered up with with Carl and Brian, has partnered oh, up sure. with Roy for a yeah. lot of different audio description programming. Um, and now <clears throat> I've moved slightly out of the audio description world for the last couple of weeks and, and through the next two more months, um, I'm working with in a partnership with Chainsaw Productions on a great audio immersive drama. That's right, yes. Um, 
Yes, I know about but it. But a yep. lot of the conversations every Tuesday are about breaking into the business. And a lot okay. of the folks that participated in Carcerum, the series, also do um, audio description. Sure. One, one of the things that they all tell us um, is going to improv classes, that uh-huh. that's something to help with your voice, to help with building a character. Sure. And even though in audio description, you're not building a character, you still have to come to it with intention. So oh, sure. if, exactly. if you were to give us the top three things that someone who's blind or visually impaired should be doing to, to prepare themselves to get break into the business. And of course, yes, yeah. come to the, come to the Institute, but Absolutely. what should they be doing to prepare themselves to even come to the Institute as well? Well, you know, one thing can, can be to just uh, go, go through a, a copy of my book, The Visual Made Verbal, which goes through all of this work uh, and with exercises on a dedicated website and such. Um, the book is available in Braille. It's available as an audiobook. It's on board, Bard, excuse me. Uh, but it's also in print in Spanish now and uh, Portuguese, Polish, Russian. Chinese is coming out soon and Italian nice. is being yeah Italian is being worked on um so that that's one thing certainly that can be done as voice for, as far as voice talent uh work is concerned uh boy talking to people like Satana uh like uh, Nefertiti like Thomas Reed uh like Roy Roy cited of course but, you know, speaking of Roy Samuelson, he offers workshops specifically in the voicing of audio description. So while I think going through the Institute is valuable, uh, because uh, I think, of, you know, there's a synergy between the writing of description and the voicing of description. And if you know how description is, is crafted, I think you're a better voice talent. But then there are the particular skills and 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 kinds of training and techniques that we don't have time to do in the Institute. And Roy picks up on that. So, you know, Roy Samuelson at gmail.com um, and, and Roy Samuelson.com is website. Uh, he periodically will offer these workshops. And I think that's a tremendous thing to do, um, especially with the, the idea of, of voice voicing um, for audio editing. Uh, uh, I, you know, I would, Chris is so generous with his time and advice. I think it would make sense to, if you're interested in developing skills there, Chris Snyder would be the best person to talk to that I can think of. And he he's simply at Chris at Chris-Snyder, S-N-Y-D-E-R dot com. And um, boy, he's um, he would have thoughts on on uh, uh, developing that that skill in audio editing. Uh, as far as being a consultant, um, well, they're, you know, listening to as much description as possible, really trying to understand what makes good description, what makes not so good description, you know, how it's put together. That is what is most necessary, I think, for uh, the best consumer consultants, quality control people, um, people who are blind. Sure, going through the Institute will give you a foundation in some of that. Um, but just listening to description and listening with a discerning ear, if you will, because I'll tell you something, I have, <laughs> I have been in theater audiences watching blind people pull the earbud out of their ear mm-hmm. because the, the audio describer is just 
gone wild, gone rogue, whatever. They think it's about them and they're talking and they're talking and they're covering lines and dialogue and they're or they're or they're telling you what to think as opposed to showing you what to think. That can be so, you know, that's why I sometimes say better no description than bad description. Because if that's your first experience with audio description, you're not going to go back. <laughs> you know, you've, it's, you, you've been ruined um, by hearing this bad audio yeah. description. So, so that's a few thoughts about uh, uh, getting into the business, if you will. So we have a couple of minutes left, um, yeah. Byron. We'll take hands as soon as we go off the air. We'll stay for a couple of extra minutes for questions. Sure. sure. The last question I'll ask you on air is, what is what, what do you think that we can access? Because I know some of the stuff, you know, is museums and, and other things. But oh, yeah. Some, yeah. one of your projects that we can access, what is your pinnacle piece of work? Oh, my. <laughs> well, golly. Um, you know, I, I've done... Uh, Oh, golly, hundreds, thousands of, of videos and shows and such. Um, I have my own website, audiodescribe.com, where some of that is available, um, samples of audio description. But, you know, I would, I would welcome, uh, you know, I don't keep the website up as, as currently as I really should, because I'm too busy doing the work. Um, but if, if any of your listeners want to send me a note at jsnyder, J-S-N-Y-D-E-R, at audiodescribe.com or acb.org, um, I'd be happy to send you some current material uh, that that I think reflects, um, you know, either I wrote it or voiced it, or people that work for me have written it and voiced it. I, I can point you to some some great work. I think. Awesome. We really appreciate that. Oh sure, Byron. Why don't we take Why don't we take us out? I'll be back next Sunday with another fabulous show. And Joel will stay around for Joel will stay around for a few minutes to answer any questions we have. Thanks. Thanks so much, Anthony. This is great. Thanks for listening, everyone. You've been listening to Sunday Edition on ACB Media. Stream one. That's American Council of the Blind Media or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Episodes drop every week at 1 p.m. on Sundays. And you can email us at Sunday Edition AC, all one word, Sunday Edition with the letters AC at gmail.com. Let's brunch again together next Sunday.